This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. to ER Vet and Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm a board-certified emergency critical care specialist and toxicologist. Today, you guys are in for treat. We are going to be speaking with Dr. Lindsay Bullen, who is a board-certified veterinary nutritionist, and you guys are in for a treat because I know you guys have a ton of pet food questions. We'll be right back after these messages. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. If you guys have tuned in before, you have heard me interview Dr. Lindsay before, and you guys are in for a treat because I love talking about all things dog and cat food. Dr. Lindsay Bullen, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me back. So just so our audience knows who you are, do you mind giving us a little bit of background about who you are, where you train, and what you do right now? Absolutely. So as you mentioned, I'm a board certified veterinary nutritionist. I work in Cary, North Carolina. Uh, That's where I live with my family. I've got two little kids, five and two. And what that means to be a veterinary nutritionist is I had to go to vet school first. So four years uh, to get my doctor of veterinary medicine. And then I stayed on for an internship. It was a rotating medical and surgical with a nutrition focus. And then I stayed on more for a two-year nutrition residency, followed by a nutrition postdoc. So as you can probably tell I nerd out with nutrition and it took way too much school in my husband's opinion to get to where I am today. But my passion is education and communication to my amazing pet parents and my colleagues. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today because as I'm sure you know, nutrition and obesity are huge issues and things that we like to talk about as veterinary professionals and pet owners. So what I like to talk about today is pet obesity. Now, just like people, pet obesity is on the rise, especially after COVID, but that's another story. Do you mind just telling me how common it is and what are some of the most common things that contribute to obesity? Absolutely. So pet obesity, in my professional experience, most of the patients I see 
and my most, I mean, you know, over 50% of the time are considered overweight to obese. And that is a lot. I remember when I was younger and it was not nearly as common to see an overweight or floofy pet, if you will. But again, the majority of patients I see, whether they have a chronic illness or whether they're, you know, considered otherwise healthy are considered overweight to obese. And there are a lot of things, as you mentioned, that could potentially contribute to it. A busy lifestyle is one of them. You know, I myself, I've got two small kids. I work full time. I enjoy my extracurriculars and that doesn't leave a ton of time for my beloved pets. And so one of the things that we'll talk about later is what we can do if your pet is overweight or obese or, you know, how to reduce the risk of that occurring. But lack of activity and a very busy lifestyle for the pet parent is just one of the many things that can contribute. Other things that most people think of include overfeeding or the pet overeating. Now that's not nearly as easy, you know, as it is with humans because, you know, if I'm hungry, I'll, I'll go to the pantry and snack and I say, oh, look at those chips. I went and got my grandmother-in-law rather some truffles for her birthday. Each little truffle was 200 calories. It was absurd. But the good news is that we actually can control what our pets eat. And so in most cases, that overeating, that overfeeding is unfortunately because we as the pet parents aren't necessarily calorie counting those treats. It's amazing when you look at some of these treats, especially in proportion to how many calories a pet needs a day. A lot of these treats can make up a substantial amount of the calories. You are absolutely right. So from a nutrition perspective, kind of the rule of thumb is that no more than 10% of a pet's total caloric intake should come from treats. Part of that is because treats typically are incomplete and unbalanced. So incomplete means it doesn't have all of the essential nutrients. Unbalanced means that even if it does have everything, they are not necessarily in the right proportions. So that's just one of the reasons. But the other reason is because most pet parents don't include treat calories into their daily caloric, you know, intake. And so these pets that we're feeding based on, you know, the back of the bag guidelines, which we'll talk about more later, are getting significantly more calories in the form of love. And in this case, in the form of treats. Right. So break it down for me. Say I'm a 10 pound dog. If I had to estimate how many calories they take a day, what is that? Like 200, 300 calories? I'm like, can you just break it down? Like if that dog got one piece of bacon, how many calories is that in terms of that total 10 pound dog's calories for the day? Yeah, that's an awesome question. So I'm a big nerd and I literally calculated that once you brought up 10 pounds. So a 10 pound dog at a resting energy requirement. So that's just kind of the, the minimum base. We need approximately 220 calories. Now we need to take into consideration because every single pet is unique that will multiply that 220 by something. So if they're a growing puppy, we might multiply that by you know 1.6 or by two. If they are a couch potato, like my current dog, I might multiply that by 1.2 or 1.3. So in general, a 10 pound dog might need between 250 and 300 calories per day. And that is in the form of a complete and balanced diet. So if we take 10% of that, that means that no more than 20, 25 or 30 calories should be in the form of treats. And most treats, if you look at them, are anywhere from 40, 50, 70, 100, you know, because we, we enjoy giving them multiple types of treats and, and that's how we reward them. And so, you know, again, most pet parents are not saying, oh, okay, my dog needs 280 and I can only give them 28 per day. So that leaves 250, you know, in the form of a complete balanced diet that doesn't run through most of their heads. And the truth is that doesn't run through most veterinarians' heads because everyone's nutrition experience is a little bit different. 
Now, why is it important to even have an optimal weight? Like, why is it important for a Labrador, for dogs, or for cats? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. One of my favorite studies was done in the early 2000s by Keely et al. And I think this is one of the most impactful studies that I remember. Basically, they took two groups of Labradors and fed one group 25% less calories than the other. And they lived on average two to three years longer. Additionally, they tended to have less comorbidities or, or diseases such as diabetes or orthopedic disease or things like that. So for me, you know, I would do just about anything for my beloved pets to even have an extra year with me or even a couple extra months, to, you know, depending. And most parent, pet parents feel the same way. So imagine if you have a Labrador that could potentially live an extra two to three years because they're a nice trim weight. I mean, that is incredible. And then we need to take into consideration that fat tissue is not an inert tissue. It is a metabolically active tissue. And what I mean by that is that it secretes, it produces and uh, circulates pro-inflammatory, what are called cytokines or hormones. And it kind of puts the body in a chronic state of inflammation. Extra weight is harder on the joints. Extra weight is harder on all of the organs. So it really benefits the pet, not only in terms of longevity, but also quality of life to maintain a nice ideal body weight that study. And it's one of the studies that I quote all the time, like everyone wants their dog to live almost one and a half, two years longer. And by just preventing that obesity, not only are we making our dogs live longer, but we're really reducing the osteoarthritis and other medical problems associated with obesity. Every day in the ER vet, I see a Labrador come in and Pet owners don't realize how overweight they are. Like if you look at the AKC guidelines for Labrador, your typical female Labrador should be 60 to 70 pounds. And I haven't seen a 60 to 70 pound Labrador in at least a decade, right? So I always say, go back to the AKC original breed standards and see what the typical ideal weight is. Now, obviously there's some variation where some are a little bigger, some are a little smaller, but that's the ideal weight. And I always tell people, if you have an overweight pet, you are paying for more medical care. You're paying for more costs of drugs. You're paying for more costs of fluids, of medications. You're paying for long-term damage to your pet. So you really wanna make sure that you keep your pet at the optimal weight. I will say, and I'm sure you experience this all the time, Dr. Lindsay, even new graduates from veterinary school often are so used to obesity when they're marking what we call a body condition score or BCS on a medical record, they usually mark a lot of these pets as quote ideal or normal when in actuality, they're still overweight. Do you ever see that? Absolutely. And I think that just, you know, emphasizes again, the importance of nutrition in our veterinary training and repetition and practice. I mean, I was very fortunate. I went to a vet school that did have a board certified nutritionist on staff. And, you know, I got to practice over and over and over again, body condition scoring. And if one is trained, you know, appropriately, perfect practice makes perfect, right? Then body condition scoring is actually repeatable between clinicians. But to your point, obesity, is so common now, so many people will say, well, yeah, they look normal because the new norm is obese. But we have to remember that even if it's quote unquote normal for that pet, obesity and being overweight isn't normal in general. 
So, you know, absolutely, we need to do, we, I say collectively as the veterinary professional and mentors should do a better job of encouraging our new grads to practice and, you know, to really follow up with their physical exams while they're in school, when they're fresh out to make sure that they are body condition scoring these pets appropriately so that we can provide this accurate information and guidance to our clients. That's really important to know. Now, help me out here. How can our dog and cat pet owners know if their pet is overweight? Like, is there anything you can tell us on the radio show, what they can do at home to see if their pet's overweight? Absolutely. I think you brought up a very good starting point. So the AKC, you know, has kind of their breed standards. There are also a lot of really good resources out there. So AHA, the American Animal Hospital Association and WASAVA, the World Small Animal Veterinary Association and the Pet Nutrition Alliance. There are so many different websites that have information on obesity and body condition scoring. But I think a really, really good place to start is to talk to their veterinarian. You know, having a, a positive and lasting relationship with your veterinarian is huge for so many reasons. But getting your veterinarian to educate you and teach you on body condition scoring systems and what that looks like, because it's not just visual, it's also tactile. So you have to use your hands. Because if we think about it, you know, a floofy animal, I've got a long haired tuxedo cat. She looks massive because of her hair. She's actually under conditioned because she has chronic kidney disease and inflammatory bowel disease, which is a, a GI issue for the listeners out there that don't know. And you would never know that she was underweight if you didn't put your hands on her and, you know, try to feel her ribs. I can feel her ribs a little too easily. Her abdomen, you know, tucks up just a little too far. The muscles, you know, and this is muscle condition, but the muscles on her body are wasted as well. So, you know, talking to your veterinarian, you know, being involved in your pet's healthcare and asking them to teach you and show you is a great place to start. But the other thing is having, you know, pet parents everywhere be open to that conversation. Obesity tends to be a pretty taboo topic. And a lot of, you know, new and old graduates don't feel comfortable bringing the O word, you know, into the exam room because they're concerned that it'll hurt feelings. And many pet parents out there, and I'm guilty of this as well, you know, get a little defensive because it's like, well, I didn't do this. And pet parents are absolutely right. They didn't. It's multifactorial. It's a metabolic issue typically. But, you know, we have to be comfortable talking about the proverbial obesity elephant in the room so that we can work together as a team to, you know, help make their pets have a long and quality lifespan. Fantastic information, Dr. Lindsay. Really appreciate it. And we'll continue with this really important topic right after these messages from our sponsors. For those fortunate to have experienced the deep bond and unconditional love of a companion animal, the death that follows can be one of the most difficult and misunderstood losses to go through. Many times, this devastating loss goes unrecognized and trivialized by family and friends, leaving grieving pet parents struggling to find healthy ways to cope with the loss. In And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal for healing the loss of a pet, Dr. Julianne Corbin calls attention to the difficulties unique to the loss of a beloved pet and provides an interactive and compassionate guide to help you process your loss and work towards coming to a place of peace and healing. For those interested in journal therapy and looking for a professionally written and compassionate resource to help understand and reconcile the grief associated with the loss of your pet, this book is for you. And I Love You Still 
A Thoughtful Guide and Remembrance Journal by Julianne Corbin is now available for purchase on Amazon and other major book retailers. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee. And so far, we've been talking with Dr. Lindsay, a board-certified veterinary nutritionist, about pet obesity. It's not a popular topic, but again, as veterinarians, we're going to tell you the skinnier you can keep your pet, closer to optimal body weight, the longer they can live, the less medical problems they're going to have, and the less pain they're going to be in because of osteoarthritis. We've been talking about how we can work with our veterinarian, how we can test our dog and cat at home with a physical exam to see how overweight they are. Now, Dr. Lindsay, the key question that everybody always asks, how can pet owners figure out how much to feed their dogs and cats? Not an easy question. Most pet parents will go straight to the back of the bag, which should have feeding guidelines on there. But the important thing to keep in mind is that every single pet food company has a slightly different algorithm when they're trying to decide you know, what the average feeding amount should be. The other thing we have to keep in mind is many of the calculations that were used you know, 15, 20, 30 years ago, pets were significantly more active. So I always tell pet parents, well, I tell my colleagues rather, if you're uncomfortable calculating, the back of the bag is not a bad place to start, but it is important to titrate or adjust the amount that you're feeding your pet based on their body condition score, based on their activity level. So if your pet looks beautiful, perfect, you know, they have a nice abdominal tuck. If you look at them from above, you can see and feel a beautiful hourglass waist. You know, if you're petting them on their side, you can feel their ribs easily, you know, without having to push in too deeply, but they're not emaciated. All of those things are going to, you know, help you know that, hey, yeah, you're probably feeding the right amount. If they start gaining a little weight, you want to drop it back. If they start losing weight, you want to bump it up. So that's if you don't have somebody that can help you. But again, having that positive relationship with your veterinarian is going to be key because the veterinary professionals have really, really good equations that can help calculate a pet's starting caloric intake with significantly more accuracy than an average, you know, minimum maximum feeding guideline on any back of the bag. Can't blame pet owners here. It is really confusing because there's a lot of variability. But I always say, don't feed the bowl, feed your pet. I feel my dog's ribs every single day. And I may adjust the amount that I feed by a little bit based on how much exercise he gets versus if it's Minnesota winter and we're not exercising quite as much. But these are really important things that we want to factor into. So again, make sure to work with your veterinarian. If you're not sure, you can always consult with a nutritionist. And it's so important that we do that. Now, that said, when it comes to figuring out how much to feed your pets and knowing that a lot of pet owners, myself included, likes to give treats to a pet, especially for training, what are some tips or tricks that you have that can help when it comes to providing treats to your pet without making them obese? 
Yeah, treats are really, really important, especially in today's age. You know, when we're so busy, we again try to demonstrate our love in the form of food. And so for me, when I am speaking with my pet parents, you know, and clients about this, I try to figure out if treats are important to them. And obviously, in this case, we're talking that they are. And then I try to figure out how often they're actually using the treats. So for example, if we have a puppy that we're trying to potty train and trying to teach manners to, their treat calories are likely going to be significantly higher than again, you know, the couch potato dog that's already been trained or your performance dogs that are doing agility and, and you know, things like that are likely going to have higher treat needs. So the first step is going to be communication, you know, communicate with your veterinarian what you're actually using the treats for. Is it just a potty reward? Or again, are you using significant calories in the form of treats? And so if it is an intermittent treat here or there and the pet is not overweight, then typically, you know, one biscuit, one cookie is unlikely to make a big deal. If we have those pets that need significantly more treat calories, I will typically actually recommend using either their kibble as treats. So you give, you know, part of their food at scheduled meals and then you save a portion of it to provide for positive rewards. Or if they're, you know, especially looking for something a little bit smaller, I will sometimes use a complete and balanced cat food. So that way we're not actually unbalancing the diet and the kibble size is significantly smaller. So you can give, you know, smaller little tidbits. But again, when we come back to it, what we have to keep in mind is that treats have calories, cat food has calories. So when we are looking at how much a pet should have, if we're using an incomplete or unbalanced treat, those type of calories should be less than 10%. If we're using a complete unbalanced treat, such as a pet's kibble or you know a cat kibble, then we are really needing to take into consideration total caloric intake. And we should be taking that into consideration for all pets in general. And again, ask your vet. They can absolutely help with those calculations if that's something that the pet parents feel uncomfortable doing. All right. So you talked about cat food as a very, very, very rare occasional treat, which is totally fine for dogs. What are some examples of healthy treats? Like I know my dog will not eat carrots, will not eat celery. Are there other options for healthy treats? Uh, that's funny. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. I had a giant 100-pound German Shepherd mix who would eat anything as long as it wasn't green. So I could throw him carrots, bananas, apples, all these things. And if you threw you know, a piece of lettuce or broccoli, he would dodge it like the matrix. Whereas my current dog, I have a hard time getting her to eat her own food, much less treats. Like We don't even do treats with her. But that's really going to be dependent on the individual. So you mentioned your dog doesn't necessarily like carrots. Your pet might have more of a savory you know, tooth. So they might like something like, I'm trying to think here, maybe a squash or pumpkin that's got a little bit sweet in there, but it's not, you know, super sweet. Other things that can be used for treats include snap peas, green beans, I'm trying to think what I've got in my refrigerator right now. Bell peppers, apple slices. Bananas have a lot of calories, but they can still be used as treats, you know, if they're, you know, chopped up small. Blueberries are a great treat. So really, truly, it depends on the individual. Oh, I also love egg whites. Egg whites in general are very low calorie as compared to the whole egg itself. And so if you get an egg white and hard boil it and chop it up in little pieces, that can be a really great treat. Because as you're talking, I... I 
can't help think of my five-year-old kid who will not eat anything green either, but loves egg whites. So unfortunately, my dog gets all the egg yolks. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so I totally get it. All right. Last question. If a pet is already overweight, what can a pet parent do to correct this? Like, it's so hard to lose weight. It's so hard to lose weight as a human, as a dog, as a cat. Like, what tips do you have that you can give us? Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you brought in that it is hard. It is hard for everybody involved. I have been on a like a personal three-year weight loss journey because I had my second son and it's years. It has been years for me to try to get to a weight that I feel comfortable and confident and good again. It takes a lot of hard work. So the first thing that I'd like to tell pet parents is to be patient. Your pet did not gain weight overnight. It will not be overnight to correct this. When we take this into consideration, every single pound of fat that we're trying to get a pet to lose is over 3,500 calorie deficit. That is unsafe to do in big dogs in a day. That is, you know, deathly to do in a cat. So we have to take into consideration, you know, if I've got a cat and truth be told, I do have a slightly overweight cat. I made her overweight before I was a vet. And now I have spent the rest of her life trying to, you know, correct what has happened. I have to be patient. She only gets 250 calories per day and she's probably still two pounds overweight weight. How am I ever going to get an additional 7,000 calories you know, off of her? It's going to be 10 or 25 calories a day. So for her, it's going to be a year or more of weight loss. So again, we have to be patient. The other thing that's really important is, again, partnering with your veterinary professionals, partner with your veterinarian. You know, they can help take a look at your pet. If your pet is just mildly overweight, typically a 10 or 15 percent reduction of their current diet can be used with minimal risk of creating nutrient deficiencies. If your pet is what we would consider, you know, significantly overweight or obese, we can actually create more problems by cutting their maintenance diet down. So they would likely benefit from a therapeutic or a prescriptive weight loss diet because those are designed to be significantly low fat, low calorie, high fiber, which helps our pets feel full, but they're essential nutrients, those essential amino acids, which build muscle, the essential vitamins and minerals, those are augmented so that we can calorie restrict without causing those nutrient deficiencies. So again, partnering with your your veterinarian, being patient, exercise is going to be key. And that's hard. You know, my poor dog, especially with the kids right now, she is lucky if she gets one walk a day. Now, don't get me wrong. She gets to go outside and have her potty breaks and we play tuggies in the house. But that girl lives to walk. And so that has been my New Year's resolution to try to take her for at least three to four really long walks, you know, a week, which is great for me and my weight loss journey but also really good for her to keep her muscles strong and to keep her calorie expenditure increased as well. So really, really important things to keep in mind. Great information because we all have a little bit of weight to lose. So we totally get it. As veterinarians, as pet owners, we want your dog and cat to live as healthy as possible. And again, one of the easiest ways of doing that is working with your veterinarian. And that's why I think it's so vital that you make sure you go to the right sources. Now, now, Dr. Lindsay, I also am aware that you are part of VetScoop. What is VetScoop? I know it's a group of leading veterinarians who provide a real talk resource for pet advice that you can trust. But what should pet owners look for when they go to VetScoop? And is there information uh, that they can find on nutrition over there? 
Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought that up. VetScoop is a, a wonderful group. We're volunteering our time to basically provide reliable and accessible information to pet parents everywhere. We basically want to be a source and a, of resources and honest information that pet parents can trust. So if pet parents are interested, they can go to vetscoop.com. That's scoop like a scoop of ice cream because it's delicious. So vetscoop.com. And there is a library so you can see you know information on different topics. There's a blog. I contribute in the form of interviews and you know written information on there. I also have a couple projects in the works as well. So we were talking about body condition scoring. One of the things I love to do is to get live pictures, you know, of real animals at different body conditions so that our pet parents everywhere can really take a look because some of the drawn pictures are a little hard to interpret. But I strongly encourage everyone to check out Vet Scoop. It's a wonderful, wonderful resource. And if you feel like we're missing something, you know, let us know. Maybe we can add to our library or blog. Wonderful information. Dr. Lindsay, thank you so much for all that you do and really appreciate you coming on today's show on ER Vet. Oh, thank you so much again for having me. It is always a pleasure and an honor to be here. Truly enjoy speaking with you, Dr. Justine. Thank you. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Find me at drjustinelee.com, on Facebook or Instagram at drjustinelee, or email me your pet questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time, but we want to thank our guests, Dr. Lindsay Bullen and Mark Winter, our producer, for making the show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.